Take your Bibles, please. You may know these verses of Scripture by memory, but if you don't, take your Bibles, please, and turn to 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter, and to Hebrews, the 11th chapter. 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, and Hebrews, chapter 11. We're going to read one verse in 2 Corinthians, and we're going to read one verse in Hebrews 11, and I'm going to try to present to you this morning a message entitled, When Our Faith seems to fail us. I wanted to preach this message back in August when I was going through a little trial, and most of you know what that was. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says simply, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, talking about God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We know that it is impossible to live the Christian life without faith. We come into this life by faith. The scripture says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now I'm going to go ahead and add the 10th verse, because we omit that so many times, but it is essentially a part of these two verses, right? Which says this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We are not saved by works, but we are saved by a faith that will cause us to work. If we are truly saved, if we truly love God. So we come into this life by faith, and we just read from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, that we live this life by faith. We walk by faith not by sight. And so we trust God, we live for Him, and of course then we cannot please God, Hebrews eleven six. we cannot please God without faith. So we need faith. But not only do we need to possess faith, you know what we need? We need a faith that possesses us as the children of God. We're not talking about a blind faith. You know, there are people who say, I believe in blind faith. No, you can't believe in blind faith. I don't know if there's any such thing as blind faith. God doesn't require us to have blind faith. God wants us to have faith in Him. You know, faith has to have an object. There are some people who have faith in faith. Well, if I just have enough faith, everything will work out. Well, they have faith in faith, but that faith isn't really an object. Their object of our faith must be God, and it must be the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're not even talking about the power of positive thinking. We live in a day when, man, you got to think positive. And I, agree, I like people who are positive. I love to be around people who are positive. It just, I don't enjoy being around people who are negative all the time. Amen. You know, oh, woe is me. Everything's against me. Everybody's against me. Why does everything happen to me? That will bring me down in a hurry. And I like being around positive people, positive thinking people. But just thinking positively does not mean something's going to happen. I can sit here all day and think, boy, a big fried chicken lunch would sure be nice, but I got to get up and go to where it is or I'm not going to get it, right? And you know, preachers and chicken, that's why I chose that particular kind of lunch. But faith has to have an object, and the object of our faith must be Jesus Christ. And the Bible teaches us to pray for faith, doesn't it? And pray in faith. Listen to James chapter 1 verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. That giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But listen to this. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering. 
How much wavering? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that waveth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. And if you've ever watched the ocean waves come in and, and the current go back out and in and out, we stood in a place, one of my favorite places I, when I was out in California visiting many, many years ago, was uh, they call it, I think the place is called the Restless Sea and it's where two ocean currents come together and the waves are continually tossing and churning. And as I think of this verse, I think of that. A person who wavers is like that. They're never fully having faith in God. They're never fully trusting God. And so one moment it's, it's yes, everything's gonna be okay. And the next moment it's, I don't know whether it's gonna be or not. And they're just constantly churning. By the way, none of us, is immune from that wavering. Amen. We've got this thing called the flesh that causes that wavering sometimes. And you know, I don't spend, maybe I spend more time than I should looking back at Facebook, but all I have to do is look back at my Facebook memories and I'm reminded of some of my waverings. And those are the memories I don't share these days with everybody else. I don't put them on Facebook anymore. What does the rest of James chapter 1 say in verse 7? Look at what it says. For let not that man, that man that wavers, okay, that man that's like the waves of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed, for let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. I'm going to trust God, but wait a minute, maybe I can't trust God, I'm going to trust myself. Well, guess what? You're not going to get the things that you're praying for. Let him ask in faith. But what happens now you listen carefully to the words I'm about to use here. What happens when our faith seems to fail? When our faith seems to fail. Sometimes we may ask for something very specific. We may have faith. And we may trust. But when the answer comes, guess what? It does not come in the way that we think it ought to come. Has God ever answered your prayers in a way that you didn't expect him to answer in a way other than what you had asked for? Yes, he does answer our prayers that way. See, a moment ago I prayed that God knows what's best for us. And so I just trust God enough to say, give him my life and say, Lord, you know what's best for me? You know what will bring you glory? I'm going to trust you. I'm going to depend upon you. And so that's the way we need to approach God, especially in prayer. But the answer doesn't come the way we think it should come. As an example, many years ago, my mother was diagnosed with cancer, brain cancer, and I prayed. And I didn't just pray a little bit. I prayed continuously. I prayed hard. I prayed with many tears to God. I did what I could to suggest doctors and to search out treatments or whatever. But about three months after she was diagnosed, she passed away. That was not what I had prayed for. But God knows what's best. Had my faith failed? No, my faith had not failed. And I have a greater faith in God today because of that. And I'll address that hopefully in just a few moments. But sometimes trials and temptations and tribulations and heartaches and tears and fears come to us and faith just does not seem to remove them. Sometimes the answer is found in James chapter 4. You know what James says about James chapter 4 in our prayers? You have not because you ask not, first of all. You say, but I ask. Okay, sometimes he says we do this. You ask and receive not. Why? Because you ask amiss. In the wrong way, for the wrong reason, with the wrong motive. 
that you may consume it upon your lusts. And then sometimes the answer to our prayers when they're not the way we think they ought to be answered is found in James chapter 1 verse 3 where James, God through James reminds us of this knowing this that the trying of your faith worketh patience. What's patience? Patience is endurance. The trying of our faith will work our patience. See, God sometimes is growing us. And sometimes our prayers may not be answered the way we think they ought to be answered because of that growth process. He's growing us. He's maturing us. And the Word of God says, tribulation works patience. And what does patience produce? Endurance produce. Experience. And experience hope. Glad expectation. And so sometimes God may just say, I'm withholding this from you for a period of time so that you can grow as a child of God and so that you can learn to depend upon me. We read from the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Now the book of Hebrews was written for what purpose? Because there were some who because of persecution were thinking about leaving Christ and going back under the Mosaic law. It'd just be a lot easier. There'd be less persecution. There'd be less problems. And the book of Hebrews was to show them that there was something better than the law. And of course that was faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in chapter 11, God through the writer of Hebrews confronts these folks with as he says in chapter 12, a whole cloud of witnesses. And we can look back and see who those witnesses were. Noah, Abel, Abraham, Sarah, just many different ones that are named. And they stayed true to the Lord even during times of trials. Now look at verse 32 here in chapter 11 of Hebrews. And the names there are given of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah. We know that Samson and Jephthah were some of the judges. David and Samuel are named as staying true to God, as serving God. He mentions the prophets. In verse 35, he mentions women who had their dead raised. He said they were brought to life again. and Others were tortured, he says, not accepting deliverance. Look at verses 36 and 37 here in this 11th chapter of Hebrews. And what does he say there? And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment, they were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. These are people of faith. This is happening to people who love God, who serve God, who are faithful to God. Lord, why would you let that happen to your people? Well, God had a purpose in it. And today... We look at churches and we look at believers today and you know what we find? Is there are a lot of believers and a lot of churches who are in it for the good times only. Amen. If everything's going all right, if there's no problems, if God gives me everything that I want, everything that I ask for, if life is just a breeze, I will faithfully serve God. But you let some trial, you let some problem come and you know what they do? They cut and run. They quit. I have seen it as a pastor. Some people, just when problems come, they decide to quit. You know what the problem is? They don't have a strong faith. Amen. They don't have a mature faith. They have an immature faith. They haven't grown in faith. And again, some of the times that God allows things to happen to us is to strengthen our faith. So the rest of this message, we're going to talk about what a mature, what a strong faith will do. And the first thing I want to point out is that a strong faith trusts the power of God. Now the first thing we need to remember that when God answers our prayers in a way that we don't think they should be answered, 
When God doesn't give us what we ask for, it's not because he can't do it. Do you realize that God has the ability to answer every prayer that we pray in the way that we ask for? So when he doesn't answer the way that we ask for, it's not because he doesn't have the power to answer in the way that we ask. And the Bible is full of accounts of God's supernatural deliverance of his servants. We named some who weren't delivered. The Bible's full of accounts of those who were delivered. What about Daniel? Daniel in the lion's den. What did they say to Daniel? You better not pray to your God. And you pray to your God, we're going to throw you in a den of lions. And what did Daniel do? He prayed to his God. And here's what he did. He not only prayed to his God, he prayed to his God with the window open. Now, how many of us would close the window before we prayed? You know, if that kind of edict were given, well, I'll, just, I'll close the window. I'll go in my house by myself. Nobody will hear me. And I'll pray to God. I'll be a secret Christian, right? There's something like that in the New Testament. We're not going to, don't have the time to name them. But Daniel opened the window and Daniel prayed. And what happened to Daniel? They threw him in the lion's den. What they said would happen did happen. He prayed anyway. What happened in that lion's den? God closed the mouth of those lions. I guess Daniel was the first lion tamer. I don't know. But God closed the mouth of those lions and Daniel came out of the lion's den. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three Hebrew children? We know them by their Babylonian names, not by their Jewish names or Hebrew names. But here's three Hebrew boys who were told to bow to a pagan idol and worship this pagan idol. And they said, we won't do it. We are not going to bow down to a pagan idol. They said, if you don't bow down, you're going to be thrown in the fiery furnace. They didn't bow down. What happened? They're thrown in the fiery furnace. They kept their word. But you know what? They didn't burn. In fact, if I recall correctly, they didn't even have the smell of smoke on them when they came out of that fiery furnace. And when the king looked into the furnace, he didn't see three Hebrew boys. He saw four people in that furnace. And in fact, he said of the fourth one, he has an appearance that is like the son of God. I tell you what, Jesus will go with you through the fire. Amen. Jesus will be with you in the lion's den. Jesus will be with you when you go through the fire. What about David and Goliath? Goliath was a giant. Everybody was afraid of Goliath. Well, except David. You know, David wasn't afraid of Goliath. At least the Bible doesn't tell us he was. There were people who looked at Goliath and said, he's too big. David looked at Goliath and said, he's too big to miss, right? And so he took his stone and he put it in his sling and he slung it and he hit the giant and he killed the giant. People were saying, look how much bigger than David Goliath is. And David was thinking, look how much smaller than God Goliath is. David had great faith and God gave David the victory. Simon Peter. Remember him? Peter was in prison. He was put into prison by Herod and an angel broke him out of jail. You remember that? That's in the book of Acts. That's in the 12th chapter of Acts. He was broken out of jail by an angel. And in fact, if you read that account in Acts chapter 12, Peter had more trouble getting into a prayer meeting than he had getting out of jail. He came to the door, he knocked on the door. They said, it's got to be his ghost. And finally they let him in. But God had given Peter the victory. He had gotten him out of prison. Listen, anybody who has walked with God for any length of time, and I meant to open this message this morning by just asking who has something they want to thank God for this morning, and I forgot to do that. 
But I tell you, anybody who had walked with the Lord for any length of time has a story of God working in them and of God working in their heart and in their life, things that cannot be explained except by the fact of God's mighty power. Faith trusts the power of God. And strong faith also bows to the purposes of God. Sometimes God's ways are mysterious, aren't they? Sometimes God works and we just, is that God working? And it is. But just because God's ways are mysterious does not mean that God's ways are weak. We love accounts, like I said, of God's giving the victory. We love accounts of David and Goliath. We love the accounts of Daniel and the three Hebrew children. But you know what? Sometimes the deliverance doesn't happen, does it? What happened to Zechariah the prophet? Folks, they stoned him to death. I had asked Joni, and I forgot to ask her again this morning, to sing the song, the Stephen song is what I call it. The title of it is A Stone's Throw Away. That Stephen was just a stone's throw away from heaven, right? And Stephen in the seventh chapter of Acts gives a wonderful account of the history of Israel. And he defends faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he tells them that Christ is the Messiah. And how did they treat Stephen after that? They, first of all, they ran up on him and started biting on him. The scripture says they gnashed him with their teeth. And then they took rocks. And they're not talking about little rocks you can hold in your hand. They're talking about big rocks. And they took stones and they stoned Stephen to death. A preaching deacon. And he got stoned to death. I tell you what. He was a faithful witness of God. And he paid with his life. Tradition has it that King Manasseh put Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, we studied from him last week, put the prophet Isaiah in a hollow tree and then sawed that tree in half. If you look back to the 11th chapter of Hebrews, it says that some were sawn asunder. That could be a reference right there to Isaiah. That's how this prophet of God was treated. Early believers were mocked. They were ridiculed. They were beaten. They were stoned. They were, remember Paul and Barnabas in that first missionary journey. They stoned Paul and drug him out the side of the city and left him for dead. And it happened to early believers. And yet here we sit many times in our day and we think, well, I'm a child of God. I ought to be treated royally. Well, no, we may suffer the same things that these did. Now, if you want to know what happened, and some of this was done for sport, if you want to know what happened to those early believers, just get a book like Fox's Book of Martyrs or the history of the evangelical churches of the valleys of Piedmont. It comes with illustrations and you read those books and you see what happened to those early believers and how they paid dearly for their faith in God, for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Some were dressed in animal skins and sent out to be hunted by dogs. Now here's the one that got me. Well, they were fed to the lions, we know in the Colosseum. They sealed their fate with their lives. But some, one of the ways they persecuted them, and I wouldn't last very long here, they sewed them in bags with poisonous snakes. You just have to put me around that poisonous snake and I'd be gone, folks. <laughs> or I'd tear my way out of a bag. I don't know which. I don't like snakes and they don't like me. But they took believers and they sold them in bags with poisonous snakes. Warren Wisby said this, you'd better not try to get your theology from circumstances. Right? A lot of people do. But you better not try to get your theology from circumstances. If you do, you will come to the conclusion that God does not love you. 
You ever pray for something and God didn't answer your prayer and you think, well, Lord, why do you not like me? Well, Lord, why are you mad at me? Lord, why are you not answering my prayer? God loves you. And God loves me. And God, like a loving father, does what is best for his children. John chapter 11 verse 5 tells us that Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. In fact, if you just look over to that 11th chapter of the book of John, here's something strange that happened. Even though Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, oddly in John 11:6, when they come to Jesus and they tell him that Lazarus is ill, and we don't know how much they told him about Lazarus's illness, when Jesus therefore had heard that he, Lazarus, was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Jesus, Lazarus is in the hospital. He's in ICU. They don't expect him to live. And Jesus delayed. For two days, he stayed right where he was. Now, many times in our modern day, if the pastor didn't rush to the hospital, folks would get upset with him, wouldn't they? My loved one's about to die, and you didn't rush up there and, and see them or whatever. Jesus stayed right where he was. And then after in verse 14, Jesus said, Lazarus is dead. Still in the same place. Lazarus had died. And after he said, Lazarus is dead, what did he do? Then he went to Judea. Then he went down to where Lazarus was. But he makes a strange statement in verse 15, a little odd statement to us, to his disciples. And I'm going to split it up. You just hang on for this. He says, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes I was not there. Jesus, what are you saying? Why would you say, Lazarus is your good friend. You love Lazarus. He's dead and you're glad that you weren't there? Just keep reading that 15th verse though and look at what he says. Why did he say it? To the intent that ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go into him. Lazarus has died. I wasn't there, but I'm glad for your sakes because something's going to happen. We know the account of Lazarus. We know what happened with Lazarus. Verse 23, Jesus is talking to Martha. He says, your brother's going to rise again. She says, well, I know he's going to rise in the resurrection, but uh, no, he's talking about in just a little bit, he's going to rise again. And we know that Jesus stood outside of the tomb and he cried out, the scripture says with a loud voice, I've always liked that. He cried out, Lazarus, come forth. And what happened? Here came Lazarus walking out of that tomb. Lazarus who had died. Lazarus who Jesus had waited two days when he found out he was sick and died. And then Jesus went, Lazarus came out of that tomb. What was the purpose? Why, Lord, did you let Mary and Martha go through all this? Just look down to verse 45. And it says, Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. God had a great purpose for Lazarus. But Lazarus had to die and had to be raised again for others to come to see Jesus for who he was. Now here's a real serious question. What if it took the death of someone near and dear to you to cause you to serve God? To cause you to give your life over maybe a, a lost person to come to know Jesus Christ as Savior? How would you react? How would we react? Many times there are folks, we discussed this in Sunday school this morning. Sometimes there are folks who just get angry with God. Amen. They get just like Naomi was. They get bitter. Lord, why did you allow this in my life? But God has a purpose in it. 
I talked to a girl one time, she wouldn't let us witness to her. She said, I will not serve a God who had let my mother die. Well, she didn't understand God then. Maybe God's purpose in her mother's death was to bring her to Christ. But she refused. It took my dad falling off of a pole about 35 feet to get me to the point where I'd make public the call to preach. God was dealing with me. I'd made God a promise a year earlier. If you'll get him down off of that 100 foot water tower, I'll do what you want me to do. Well, Dad got down and I did what I wanted to do. Right? Almost a year to the date later, he climbed a 35 foot pole and fell off. And you know what my first thought was when I heard about it? You didn't do what you promised God you'd do. God got my attention. Dad lived. God got my attention. And so I did what God wanted me to do. And, for, and you don't have to go to seminary to be a preacher. You don't have to go to seminary to be a pastor. But it sure does help sometimes. And for five years I just put it off. I don't want to leave home. I don't want to leave my family. I don't want to go off and live somewhere else. I'm doing okay. And then my mother was diagnosed with chronic lymphocytic leukemia. And I said, Lord, I get the message. And I went away. And you know pretty much the rest of the story. See, sometimes God has to get our attention. God has not promised that we will not know difficulty, folks. You can't find anywhere in the Word of God where it says that the Word of God will always have an easy life to live. But what He has promised is that we will know the ultimate victory, okay? We'll go into His presence. God does not say that we won't have tribulation. He doesn't say that we won't have distress. He doesn't say that we won't have persecution. And He does not say that we won't have problems. In fact, I will guarantee you, and some of our folks in this church have seen it, if you will serve God, Satan will make sure you have problems. Amen. He'll make sure you have difficulties. I mean, we've had everything from health issues to home issues, okay? And I don't mean husband and wife getting upset with each other. I mean, how's this getting built? Satan will see. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Satan will see that you have problems. But if we'll faithfully and fully serve God, we'll be blessed of God. I believe that. Romans chapter 8 Verse 35, I love this, these verses, 35 through 37, Romans chapter 8, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Bad things don't just happen to people who don't know Christ as Savior. Now, when God deals with us, what we need to do, instead of asking God why, we need to ask God, what do you want me to get from this? What do you want me to learn from this? How are you directing me with this Lord? Jesus said, of those that were born among women, there was not a greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a good man. John the Baptist was a faithful man. But you know that John went through a time of doubt? He's sitting in prison. He's awaiting execution. You know what's going to happen to him. He's going to get his head chopped off. And he's awaiting execution. And he sent messengers to Jesus to ask us, are you really the Christ? Are you really him? Are you really the one they said would come? Listen, if you have prayed for God to do something in your life and he's not done it, it's not because he can't do it. 
Maybe God's just saying, you need to wait a while. Maybe God's saying, you need to learn patience. You need to learn endurance. Somebody said this, faith is not receiving from God so much of what we want as it is accepting from God what he gives or what he allows. See, we think faith is, well, if I'll pray in faith, God will give me that new car, that new house, that new whatever. No. Sometimes he may take those things away. Because faith is saying, okay, Lord, I trust you. Regardless of comes, I told the Sunday school class, and I hate to keep repeating this. I'm not trying to promote self, but it popped up today on my Facebook memories. Ten years ago today, ten years ago today, I had already made this commitment to God, but I told the world on Facebook that said, regardless of what happens, I'm serving God. I don't care what happens. And thank the Lord I've been able to keep that commitment for these last 10 years, but that's what we need to learn to do. See, we all need an if not clause in our prayer lives, okay? We need an if not clause in our faith life. What do you mean an if not clause? Well, go back to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in chapter 3 of Daniel. And listen to what they said in verse 17. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. They said, we've got faith in God. God will deliver us if it's his will. We trust God. We're depending on God. And then in verse 18, look at what they said. But if not, there's the if not clause, all right? But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. They had a sure, subtle, and steadfast faith in God. They said, okay, God may choose not to deliver us. Fine. We will serve God, did you ever get ready to quit serving God just because things didn't go the way you thought they ought to go? Or just because your prayer wasn't answered as you think it should have been answered? If that's the case, you need an if not clause. We all need an if not clause in our lives. If not does not mean that your faith is weak. If not means your faith is stronger than ever. You have a strong, trusting faith in God. We ask for faith to escape. But what if God just gives us faith to endure? We ask for faith to be healed. But do we have enough faith not to be healed and still serve God? And still trust God? I pray for God to help me praise Him as who His will is accomplished in my life as a child of God and as one of His preachers. Do you have the kind of faith that Job had in Job chapter 13 verse 15? What did he say there? He said, though He slay me, yet will I serve Him. Job had that much confidence in God. So strong faith bows to the purposes of God and strong faith does this also. It is based on the promises of God. Every promise of God is yea and amen in Jesus Christ. Go back to Hebrews chapter 11 for just a moment. Hebrews chapter 11, and there in verse 13, look at what it says. Now, this is talking about people like Abraham and Sarah and, and Noah and, and Enoch and, and these folks. And listen to what it says in verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. That's very important. But having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims 
on the earth. But then look down to verse 16. They didn't receive the promises while they were here. They saw them afar off, but they served God. And look what verse 16 says. But now they desire a better country that is in heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he had prepared for them a city. They had faith. If they didn't have it in their hands, they had it in their hearts. And they served God and they remained faithful to God. And the scripture says, God's not ashamed to be called their God. And I have confessed to you several times that sometimes I read that verse and I think, is God ashamed to be identified with me? Because of my lack of faith, because of my weak faith, is God ashamed to say, yeah, though Jim Harris, he's one of mine. <laughs> I'm his God. God was not ashamed of these that are named here in this 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Sometimes we expect too much out of life. We measure life today by money, don't we? Especially the world. We measure life by pleasure. We measure life by possessions. And you know what we call that? We call it success. You've got money, pleasure, and possessions. Man, you are a success. You have everything that a person could want. But you know what? Life is fickle and things will fail us. You know, I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes, just their heart this morning, but as a pastor, a lot of times I've had this thought for those folks who think they can worship God just as well out on the lake as they can in church. I tell you what, you lose a loved one, just get out on your boat, go out on the lake and ride around for a while and see if that comforts you. But I tell you what, I can come before God and I can be comforted. I know where my mother and dad are today. Amen. Yesterday we made a trip to central Arkansas to celebrate a 90th birthday for my aunt, my dad's only sister. And I thought as I left, this will probably be the last time that I see her alive. But you know what? I'll see her again. Because I know that she knows the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. One reason Americans are in so much debt today is they think things can satisfy them. And when they lose their things, they lose their faith. Just go back around 100 years, not quite that far back, but think about when the Great Depression came and people jumping out of buildings committing suicide because they had lost it all. And the very things they had faith in had failed them. We will not find everything we look for in this life. We need to rest on the promises of God. If we lose all our money and possessions, that's not our greatest treasure. If we become rich and famous, what the world thinks of us doesn't matter as much as what God thinks of us. If we have a loved one who dies in Jesus, remember there's a homecoming. We're going to see them again. But you know what? Before we see them, you know what I think we're going to see? I think we're going to see the Lord first. And I think our hearts are going to be just so excited and so uplifted when we see the Lord Jesus at that time. Somebody suggested this. In the average prayer meeting in a church, we pray more for sick saints than we do for lost sinners. You ever think about that? Oh, pray for brother so-and-so, pray for sister so-and-so, pray for this. And we ought to. But how often do we pray for those who are lost that they would come to know Jesus Christ as Savior? They said it this way, we pray to keep saints out of heaven more than we do to keep the lost out of hell. And folks, that's true. That's true of what goes on in many of the Lord's churches. 
God does not, God will not, and God has not forgotten His promises, folks. And God will keep His promises. He's made many great and precious promises. And one of the greatest promises, I think, is in John 17, verse 24. Listen to what Jesus said. He's prayed for it. Remember, Jesus has prayed for us. Remember that prayer in John 17? He said, I'm not, I'm not just praying for these who are here now. I'm praying for everybody who will believe, who have heard because of their word, because of their witness. And we have the witness, the testimony of Jesus today because those apostles and those disciples of Jesus went out and witnessed to people. And they were saved and they witnessed to people and they were saved and they witnessed to people and they were saved and they witnessed to people until ultimately it came to us and somebody witnessed to us and we came to know Christ the Savior. And Jesus prayed this for us, that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. We have the promise of God of heaven and eternity with him in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't ask for a greater promise than that. So I'm going to close this message this way. I'm going to tell you why I follow Christ. Now you can make your own decision on why you follow Christ, but here's why I follow Christ. There is no statistical evidence that fewer saved people die of cancer or any other disease than those who are not saved. Do you realize that? I do not follow Christ for promised healing but I will not deny, nor will I dispute that sometimes God restores health, and I'll rejoice in the recovery of those people that God heals. Okay? There is no evidence that the saved escape disaster or accident more than the lost. We're all equally affected by disasters. The recent hurricanes in the, on the East Coast, I'm sure there were Baptist churches, the homes of Baptist people and Save people that were damaged or destroyed during those hurricanes. Just being a child of God didn't keep them from having that hurricane or those tornadoes hit their house. But I will not follow Christ simply for the promised protection from disaster. I'll not scoff at amazing stories of survival and of his protection, okay? Because there are many of those. And there's no evidence that believers are especially favored for prosperity. In fact, what the Word of God says in James chapter 5, many times it's the rich who oppress the poor and who give problems for the poor. And, and justice in the world is not perfect. So I'm not going to serve Christ and to follow Christ just because I want freedom from want or have hope of affluence. I will, however, trust Psalm 37, verse 25, which says, I've been young and now I'm old. You can say amen to that. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. I'm not going to trust Christ just for what he can do for me in this world and material. Why do I follow Christ? Here's why. He is the everlasting truth. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is God in the flesh. By his death, burial, and resurrection, I am reconciled to God. If he didn't do anything else, folks, that's enough. Amen. He has all power and goodness, and I can trust everything he says. Can you think of any human being that you can trust everything that they say? Don't answer that. He is the one certain thing in an uncertain world. What's going to happen tomorrow? Well, I don't know. But I tell you what, I know who knows tomorrow, and I'm going to trust him. 
And he is to be worshipped because of who he is. He is God. That's why I follow Christ. I can tell you of all the many wonderful things he's done in my life. But the greatest thing that he did was save my soul. When faith seems to fail, we may be expecting something that God never promised. Okay? Real faith is to center your life on Almighty God. And strong and mature faith believes the power of God. It bows to the purposes of God. And it's based upon the promises of God. Two simple questions as we close this message this morning. Have you trusted God and trusted Jesus Christ to save your soul? If you have, thank the Lord for it. If you ever come to that point in life where you realize that I am a sinner in my natural condition, separated from God, I need to be saved. And then in humble faith, bowed before God and asked him to save you and trusted what Jesus did on the cross. Maybe everyone here is saved, but if somebody's watching on the live stream, maybe you need to be saved if you've never done that. Now here's the second question. If you are saved, have you ever said, Lord, take my life and use me to your honor and to your glory. And whatever comes in my life, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to stay true to you. I'm going to be faithful to you. However we answer those two questions may tell us a whole lot about what happens when our faith seems to fail. Because true faith doesn't fail.